My name's Stephen Downey, and you are very welcome to episode 48 of the Mindful Living Guide. Very close to the 50. Really excited about that. Um, listen, thank you so much for taking time to listen. Uh, this week we have an amazing, amazing episode. Um, I am talking to a man called Dara Fleming. He is a mental health ambassador. He is a writer, uh, a poet, and uh, an author. And um, he's just an all-around great person who is breaking down the stigma in mental health open up conversations and you'll really enjoy this if um we talk a lot about a lot about men's mental health actually and um just the things that stop us from talking um about that um that inner feminine that a lot of men are afraid to talk about um we also talk about an incident that happened to uh, Dara recently and how his strength in his own mental health was allowed him to get through this very difficult time um, listen, it's a great episode. I really enjoyed my time chatting to Dara and um, I hope we get to talk again in the future. Uh, sit back and enjoy this week's episode of The Mindful Living Guide. Very welcome to this great episode of The Mindful Living Guide with Dara Fleming. Uh, Dara is an author, freelance writer, award-winning uh, mental health blogger from Cork in Ireland. Um, some will say the real capital, we'll, ha- we'll have to discuss that in the podcast. And also part-time Spider-Man. Uh, Dara, <laughs> you're very welcome to the Mindful Living Guide. That's an absolutely excellent uh, introduction. Anytime me and Spider-Man are in the same sentence is a good day. So thank oh, you very much. For anyone who's not familiar with this, um, just recently, um, Dara was sharing on his Instagram, him in a Spider-Man suit. Was it an Iron Man competition you were at? Yeah, that's right. My friend uh, my friend was running it. It was his second time running it, but he's also quite a big uh, Spider-Man fan. So I said I'd surprise really? him with the, with the suit. Oh, fair play to you. And um, listen, um. For anyone who's not familiar with you, um, do you mind kind of just setting, just give me a kind of background on yourself? And um, you're, I know I said that you're a mental health blogger, um, but I just think from people in Ireland um, that ask about mental health and with people that are out there, I think it's so important to start these conversations and people like yourself that are out there opening up to this whole world to people that it used to be a taboo to talk about our mental health, but now it's a strength it's a, to show that vulnerability. So can you give us a bit of background about yourself and how you got to here? Yeah, 100%. Uh, always a tricky thing to do, but I'll give it my best shot. Um, so yeah, I'm a writer primarily. That's kind of my trade. I've written collections of short stories, have a collection of essays on uh, mental health called Lonely Boy, do a bit of poetry. But what I started with the blogging, um, which is kind of like it's interesting over the last few years has changed so much because, you know, people's attention span is quickly draining. So it's kind of switched more to video content than writing content. Now, I still do the writing every week for the blog, but uh, it's kind of more of a video based blog now, which is interesting. Uh, so I do that. I work with a charity called Lust for Life as their head of content. Uh, as we were talking about before, I'm an ambassador with Sea Change Ireland, which is a charity dedicated to reducing stigma around mental health. And yeah, my my whole thing is just normalizing the conversation around mental health and getting people to a place where they feel safe and comfortable talking about their mental health and their emotions. And that's pretty much what I try to do in, in all the work I'm involved in, whether it be public speaking, writing, doing the videos. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do, what I try to do, and so far so good. And you're making a big impact. Like you're you're talking to, to lots of people. Um I know your your book you mentioned there as well is out and 
I, I just think it's amazing that the, the transition you were saying that you started off in doing a lot more writing, but like you said, like people's attention spans are so short nowadays that it's all just quick TikToks, quick kind of Instagram uh, reels and that, that really are catching people's attention. Um, do you think it's, with that kind of form, do you think it's easier to start these conversations and for people to actually talk more about their mental health? Yeah, I think because of like, you know, we can talk all day about the pros and cons of social media, but one of the big positives is that people are um, exposed to a lot more people with a lot more uh, diverse opinions. And as a result of that, like you're, you just naturally come across people talking about a variety of different emotional and mental health topics. And like, there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have the expertise or the experience in talking about. Like, for example, uh, one of the key things I do with, <clears throat> with Thoughts Too Big is I talk about my own experience. So as a result of that, I don't talk about things like schizophrenia or uh, bipolar because I don't have experience with those things. And I think someone who has that experience should be the one to talk about them. But you can find someone who talk, who, who is talking about that with social media. So it has become far more, um, there's just far more content and far more people talking, which always the more people are talking the more people are going to talk so i think that's been a huge benefit in the last few years especially since the pandemic that we're seeing a lot more people just talking about their own experiences and that allows and welcomes and invites other people to do the same which is great it opens up those conversations um do you mind just talking about about your own your own struggles actually that you've had in the past and um i know um you you lost a, a very close friend when you were very young as well mm-hmm. yeah so that's kind of how it all started for me like before uh, my friend uh, took his own life in 2012 and before that um, I wouldn't have known what mental health was at all like it wasn't really brought up if it, if it was brought up it was in hushed tones behind closed doors we don't really talk about it so and I lived in a, a very happy bubble you know I have a great family great support system had a great childhood which I'm very grateful for and I know that's a privilege but so I just never really never touched my life and suicide to me was always something that happened to other people in other places and then it took my best friend and that kind of woke me up to like this could just happen to anyone like it's not for other people who are in different circumstances this could happen to absolutely anyone and that was quite scary Um, and obviously like <clears throat> he was my best friend so and I didn't know he was struggling. So that left me with feelings of a lot of guilt and shame that I, I didn't know he was hurt. So I didn't know I could help him or how I could help him. And even if I had that knowledge that he was hurting, I wouldn't have known what to do because we didn't have any education around it. Um, so when he died, there was a very long grief period, a lot of different emotions. There was anger, guilt, sadness, um, kind of a lack of any joy or seeing the point in life because i was like what's the point in going on like my best friend's gone like there's no there's nothing left um and the grief morphed into depression for me but again because of the lack of talk or in because this was almost 11 years ago now um the lack of conversation around mental health and the lack of education i didn't know what depression was um and in my head depression was that you're sad all the time and I wasn't experiencing that. I was experiencing numbness. So I wasn't feeling sad, but I also wasn't feeling angry. wasn't feeling happy. I wasn't feeling anything. Uh, and this, and this, I was 17, 18, uh, went into college, just kind of existed in this way for two to three years. And then 
started learning about depression in college and I was like that actually sounds a lot like me uh but because of like self-stigma I denied it I was like no that's that's not even though I knew like in kind of in my gut that I was depressed I was like no no that's not me I, I can't be depressed I because I, I was afraid that I'd go down the same route as my friend so my answer to that was to deny the fact that I was feeling the way I was feeling um and then in second year of college it kind of all came to a a head where I had a panic attack in the middle of a, the street with my friends and you know from my understanding that was because I was repressing and uh, ignoring a lot of emotions and you know there's a famous Sigmund Freud uh, quote that says unexpressed emotions don't just go away they come back worse later um, so I had the panic attack and that was my first one and it was after that that I decided I'd go and get help and I went to counselling uh, got the diagnosis and it's just after that it was just being aware that I had had depression how to deal with it when to know if it was coming back um, and I suppose after that then is when I started Toss Too Big and started the work we're still doing today but it was very much a it's strange like I, I don't know your own experience but if you've had depression but depression's um quite challenging because when you're in it you don't really know the extent of how much it's affecting you because when I wasn't feeling emotion I also wasn't feeling fear of not feeling emotion I was like oh this is fine this is how people feel it was only when I came out of it and I started feeling emotions again that I realized how terrifying it was to live without emotion because you're not really living you're just existing you're going through emotions nothing's really affecting you on a deep level everything's surface and that's not really living and when I came out of it I that really stuck with me of how terrifying that is a way to live. And often you don't even realize how bad it is. You describe it so well there when you said um, the numbness. Um, Mm. I went through a a difficult patch and it's, it's, it's funny the way these things don't happen straight away. For me, it was a kind of a delay of about two years um, after my brother passed away and uh, we had to go through a court case and a lot of stuff happened that um, it wasn't until all that was finished that I think your body is kind of on auto drive that it just it hit me in, in, my, in my experience and but I I don't hear it all it's described often as numbness and it's such a great way to describe it because at the time you'd like you you lose track of who you are because mm. you have no emotions and um it's a it's a it's a it's a hard place to be in because mm-hmm. I think you know often we when we talk about depression we talk about the, the negative things you're feeling. So you're feeling, you know, self-contempt and you're feeling, you know, lack of emotion. But I think what's as important is to address the things you're not feeling. So you're not feeling joy. You're not feeling excited. You're not feeling um, any of the things that make life enjoyable. Uh, you're, you're So it's you're feeling negative things, but you're also not feeling positive things. And that's, I think, where the numbness comes from, because you're you're not getting any on any spectrum of the of the emotional or any point on the emotional spectrum you're not really landing on it you're just outside of it and for me there and i've addressed this in my writing in different ways like it felt like people were living life and i could see them but i was just outside of it watching it happen and i couldn't really get into how everyone else was just getting on with their lives it's like you're just an observer in your own life Mm -hmm. which is terrifying it's it's something else that you actually mentioned there and it's, it's actually true to work with with sea change kind of I, I've seen this a lot myself because when I went to I was a, an ambassador with them for a couple of years 
and uh, their their obviously their their whole agenda is to kind of break down the stigma. And a lot of people think that stigma is about what somebody thinks of somebody else with um with mental health issues. But like you said, there's so much self stigma as well that mm. we um we bring upon ourselves as well that we kind of say, well, I can't get help because if I get help, then I have to admit that there's something wrong. And if there's something wrong, I could be as bad as something. And it's 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 all it's a kind of a Oh, it's, it's a pattern kind of got a, that can form in this self-stigma. Yeah, and I think, you know, self-stigma is kind of informed by stigma that's just in society. So I think the self-stigma I was placing on myself was informed by just the general atmosphere of like, well, having a mental health problem is bad and people do treat people with mental health problems differently. So then I was putting that stigma on myself because I was like, if I have a mental health problem, then that's bad. And if I have it, then people are going to treat me differently and they're going to walk on eggshells around me and they mightn't like me as much. And it was all that fear of the stigma that I was just subconsciously aware of that was out in society and then placing that on myself. I was like, no, in my head, there was something wrong with having a mental health problem. And that was a huge part of the reason I didn't seek help earlier. Like I had it for three years before I started looking for help and that I had, it had to get to a very bad point before that happened. So, and that's, and, you know, based in societal stigma for sure. And I, th- I think it's so important that why it's important for men to have conversations like this and um, to kind of leave it in three years and leave it for like three years before you look for help. Or I know in, in, in my case as well that I, I left so I, I left it until I literally collapsed that I had to look for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my my wife kind of looking at me and um, I I think and I collapsed. No, sorry, this was a different part of it. But um, mm-hmm. I remember actually yeah, I was sitting outside my car and I didn't. The anxiety was so bad I didn't want to go to work. And she actually came out to work about ten minutes later, and I was sitting there crying in my car. And I wasn't able to tell her there was something wrong, but she just looked at me and said, come on, we're going to the doctor. We're going to get uh, this looked at. And it was just, I don't know what it is about men that we just feel it's so hard to ask for help. Um, maybe it's a vulnerability thing that we we don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of things. And, you know, I think just to highlight before I move on, like having obviously your wife is clearly a very supportive person and having that support system to, do the thing you can't do, I think is super important, you know, and that, that shouldn't be um, underappreciated. But yeah, I think um, there's a lot of issues with men in mental health. I think, you know, their masculinity has been linked to emotion in a negative way. And that like, if you express emotion or if you express vulnerability and that's seen as a masculine weakness. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot in recent weeks that like, I think what's happening is we're conflating um, masculinity with or like we're we're conflating uh, expressing emotion as a bad thing rather than seeing it as embracing our feminine side. And um, I think that's the problem in face is that we don't embrace that feminine side. And we do all have one, like as in every person has masculine energy and feminine energy. And I think the issue with men is that we're, either through socialization or through how we're brought up or, you know, the generational, just how men are like the traditional uh, gender roles. We've been conditioned to um, 
refuse to embrace our feminine side and our feminine side is that compassion it's that empathy it's that embracing your emotion and expressing them so i think there's not exactly an issue with masculinity because there's some very positive masculine traits i think it's just that we're not embracing that feminine side and not allowing ourselves to be emotional because we think it somehow um, impacts our identity as men which is nonsense it doesn't take anything from us it's it's uh yeah yeah and that i think that's the the issue and then because like and even like i do a lot of like po- uh, poetry work and i do the, the videos for poetry and like the amount of people who because i'm expressing emotion um openly and honestly in true poetry just assume that i'm a, a gay man because of that so like it's our society in our society right now it's almost preposterous to think that a straight man could be expressing emotion so if a man is expressing emotion oh then he's probably gay because a straight man could never do that and that's where we are that's where our our uh, discourse is with men and emotion is that like it's literally unfeasible that a straight man could could express his emotions yeah. in a healthy way it's uh, it's amazing that you say that it's, it's something i'd never thought of uh and it's so true it was like like i i i'm like i i from a big family um my brother who passed away and my older brother they're they're real alpha males working construction um i'm the opposite and uh but it's so true that it's like it's it's like a is it what i say a badge of dishonor to have a feminine a feminine side mm-hmm. um but i think i think that i'm hoping that taboo is breaking that t- times are changing um yeah. and that's the that kind of perspective is getting less and less um yeah definitely i think you know these things take time and i think what's happened in the last 10 years is we've switched from like men it's weak for men to show emotion to actually encourage mm-hmm. men to show emotion like men can talk you should talk about your emotions and that's yeah. really good that's really positive but because we have a like history of centuries of the opposite being true it's going to take time for men to adjust so just just because we tell men it's okay to talk about their emotions it's going to take time to get to a place where they actually do because they're going to be hesitant they're not going to believe that it's actually true that they can do this it's going to feel uncomfortable there's going to be a lot of stuff that they have to work through so we're not going to see the full impact of what's already happened for another generation or so and that's fine but i think what we have to be careful about is not not letting ourselves get impatient with men because you know we're keep telling them they can express their emotion and then they they're reluctant to or they're hesitant to that we don't start getting impatient with men and move on from the men's health pro- uh, mental health problem we just we have to allow the time for the adjustment and that's going to take probably a couple of decades uh but for the time being like people like myself like yourself like you know you've blind boy you've the two naris you've brezzy all these people who are all these men who are actively trying to show that it's okay to talk about your mental health and your emotions we still we will always need that and that works really important to keep the ball rolling in the right direction you keep all those conversations flowing um i be, before i ask this question i want to say it's very important um for listeners as well is that when we discuss um anyone's mental health journey or anything that works for them it's obviously not a prescription it's something that everything that works for us is what works for us and it's really um an example of things that we can try but what i wanted to ask is kind of uh before we even came on the call you were saying you're you're in a, a good place now um 
what what has worked for you in the past? Um, because we talked we talked about your struggle, you talked about um hard times that you had, but what has brought you out of those hard times into the good times? Yeah, it's a good question, and I, like just to uh, I suppose reinforce your point, like different things work for different people, and there's no like what works for me might be an absolute disaster for someone else's mental health, you know. So I think that that is a really important point to make. But for me, it, it's a combination of things. Uh, writing has always been a place I can go to feel, to like understand my emotion, to process it. And then also has that element of like when you write something new, you feel like you've done something productive with your day and doing some productive with your day for me always makes me feel better mentally. So writing has like first and foremost, like it's been, it's become my career, but first and foremost, it's a mental health tool for me. Like, um and then on top of that we have um it's it's often like a lot of stuff that like you should do you know like things you might not necessarily want to do but you should do because they they make you feel better so exercise is a huge one for me and i often don't want to exercise but it does i know if i go exercise i will feel better Uh, so that's a huge one getting enough sleep um I've been reading a lot about sleep lately and I think it's something we take for granted because it's something we have to do. Like we can't, avo- we can avoid exercising. We can't yeah. avoid sleeping, but often we neglect sleep and we only lay ourselves four or five hours and the detrimental effects of that are huge. So I, I do really prioritize getting eight hours of sleep as often as I can. Um, and then other stuff like, you know, drinking water, getting enough food in. And what I found, because I'm quite like happy to spend time on my own, um, and oftentimes I'm too happy to spend time on my own. And what happens is I spend too much time alone and that's bad for my mental health. Uh, so I need to strike the balance between spending time on my own to do work and chill out and also spend time socializing because that's really, really important for my mental health just to be around other people, to get out of my own head uh, and be around friends. So like trying to find that balance and that's quite tricky. You know, everyone has their busy schedules, everyone has stuff going on. So it's it's finding striking that balance. Cause if it goes too far in either direction, like if I'm spending too much time alone or if I'm spending too much time around people, that'll affect my mental health negatively. So it's just striking that balance. And then other stuff that works for me, like meditating, and that's probably a, an example of something that someone else might find is a a nightmare situation. I know you're you're a big fan of it, but um yeah, meditating is good for me, reading um, and then making time for stuff that I just silly things that I find enjoyable. Like I'm a huge Marvel fan, so I'll make sure I have a ticket to the Marvel movie when it's coming out. Brilliant. And that's something to look forward to. Uh, and it's just whatever you like for me, looking after your mental health is doing there's kind of two tiers doing the stuff, you know, you have to do that you're avoiding. So like exercising, sleeping, going to the dentist, whatever it is, doing the stuff you ought to be doing. And then it's doing the stuff that you know just brings you joy they're the two tiers and i try and do as much as in both tiers i can every day and i think the consistency element is really important so like the example i always give is like if i want to be absolutely shredded tomorrow like if i want to be shredded i can't just do a big workout today and expect to be shredded tomorrow and i think mental health is very much the same way like if i just do a load of mental health stuff today and then for the next week i don't look after my mental health at all I shouldn't expect my mental health to be good. You have to you have to come to it every day and be active in looking after your mental health the same way we do our physical health naturally. We just don't have this because the education or lack thereof, we don't have the same mindset when it comes to mental health. But for me, it's very much the same. I need to work on it every day in order for it to stay healthy. Um, 
it's important though to, as well the the awareness because you you were mentioned there at the start about that you love your own you love to spend time with, your, with yourself but sometimes you spend too much and mm-hmm. i think it, it's, it's also is about bringing that awareness of when the needle is going too far in one direction and we have to just bring it back it's like you're saying about the balance we have we mm-hmm. but to be able to be aware of that is such a powerful tool. And it's a simple thing as well. It's about like checking in on ourselves and say, right, where yeah. am I today? Exactly. Like, and it is that old trope, like everything in moderation, like exercise is good for you. But if you over-exercise, you start to get injured. You start to get malnourished. Your heart will be under pressure. Like exercise is good for you, but if you do too much, it's bad for you. So spending time on my own is good for me but if i spend too much time on my own it starts to become bad for me so it is very much like even though you enjoy this if you do it too much it will start to negatively impact you and i think that's why when you need to step away and, and that can be difficult especially if you're going through like a rough patch with anxiety or whatever and you don't want to see people it's forcing yourself to do it because you know at the end of the day you'll feel a little bit better because you haven't spent all day of every day with yourself because that can be really difficult especially like I'm spending a lot of time on my own when I'm feeling particularly anxious that's when the anxiety is the worst because there's no one to like get me off the thought it's trying to trying to break the pattern then at that stage yeah exactly it's um one, one thing like I, I think it's, it's a strong uh like a sense of it is that you've taken an ownership of your your mental health and an ownership of, of where you are in in the moment and um there was something I was asking if it was okay to talk about because I think it's so important um something that came up recently um and I, I read it in in the press that um there was an incident where you were being blackmailed um mm-hmm. um and it was it's in the papers and I won't go into the, the full details of it um but I I have to say what actually happened I I read this article and I read the reaction that you had mm-hmm. and I actually stood up and I said yes that mm-hmm. isn't someone with strong mental health my wife thought it was crazy but then, then she read it and <laughs> Um, basically what happened is that you took total ownership of the situation and you said that this is the way it is, this is what might happen, but whereas a lot of people, and I'll let you, I'll let you go into it in a second yourself, but a, a lot of people may have had a different reaction and worried about the outcomes instead of just saying, right, this is the way it is, I can take ownership right now, or I can worry about what might happen. Yeah, yeah, no, like, uh, and just for people who don't know, um, about a month ago now um someone i thought who was a real person who ended up being a catfish um blackmailed me with my own nude images uh they wanted two grand in order to not send them to my family and friends um which i didn't do and then yeah basically the reaction after the initial panic because it was a lot of panic a lot of stress i was like right and this is kind of how i look at mental health in general it's it's trying to find an element of control in a place where you're out of control. So I think the reason I've taken ownership over my mental health in general is because there's a lot of stuff I can't control. Like if something bad happens, that's going to affect my mental health, but I can do stuff day to day that I can control that will benefit my mental health. So that's kind of the same premise. So the pictures were no longer within my control. Someone else had them uh, and they were threatening to leak them. So I, I think, the thing that was affecting me the most is that I didn't have control in this situation. So I was like, how do I take back control? And that was the decision then to be like, right, if I actually tell people before this person tells people, then I've taken the control back. Um, So that's what I did. And then I, there was also elements of humor in my reaction because I was like, 
because there's like and a lot of people have shamed me like there was the uh commissioning editor for the irish medical times several trolls just shaming me saying all this horrible stuff and victim blaming because this is what happened to me is classified yeah. as sexual abuse so they're victim blaming me oh um, okay um and i think the best way i know to um disarm shame is to bring humor into it so in the tweet i was like Someone's blackmailing me with my own nude images. Uh, they want two grand. I'm not going to pay them. So if you see those images, enjoy them, I suppose, because I'm not going to stop them from being uh, published. And it, it was just bringing that element of humor into it. And that's kind of how I operate anyway. It just disarms the heaviness of a situation. And like objectively, looking back now, it is kind of a hilarious situation. That's just like, and like, to me, it's hilarious. Obviously, like, other people have like like my personal experience has a bit of humor to it because that's how I handle it but like that's not to take away the the seriousness of this issue because you know people have taken their own lives and people have gotten severely depressed and it's ruined people's lives but I just thought I can use humor to take away anyone trying to shame me's power like just strip him of it I'm like yeah I know this is embarrassing and it's mortifying i know that and i'm showing you that by being funny about it and um i think that was the most and it was such a like instinctive like decision to make but yeah the feedback i've gotten from most people is that i handle it really well and i'm quite proud of that and you know the what's happened since then is that it's happened to like several people have reached out to me since it's happened to me and they're like this is now happening to me in this moment do you have any advice what should i do how do i handle it and it's just giving people that um because when it does happen to you like it feels like the world's closing in you feel like you're completely on your own and coming going public about it uh i guess the purpose of that is it lets people know that you can get through it you're not the only one who's going through this and that's the goal of all the work we do in mental health is to let people know that they're not alone and whatever they're dealing with and there's people who've reached out and they're like, okay, I was freaking out, but now I've seen your tweets and I've seen everything that was in the press and now I don't feel as bad. So and, that's been really positive. And just let them know that like it, there, is, there is a way through. It's like we're talking about the whole mental health conversation, but just open up the conversation to say, right, this isn't the end of the world. And it's actually, it's, it's funny, I'm reminded there's, um, and I, I talk about this this teaching many times on the podcast. Um, there's a teaching in Buddhism called The Two Arrows. Mm. And the whole idea of it is that when you were shot, there's an initial arrow that comes in and that causes the pain. There's bleeding. There's a lot of stuff happening. But um, often in life, uh, we shoot a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth arrow. And we're kind of saying, well, oh, Jesus, if that if, if that goes down to my heart, then I'm, I'm going to die. And mm -hmm. if oh, geez, there's, there's blood on my top, and that's my favorite top. And like I know I'm being, I'm being facetious here, but like there's, there's many, many um, extra toss that happen. Like it's, yeah, yeah, this situation happened. But it's it's actually it's all those other arrows that we fire at ourselves, those worries, those anxieties about what might happen. And again, just taking ownership has just it has changed, it's changed it altogether. Um, yeah, de definitely. Because I think the biggest fear in that type of situation where someone's threatening with your your naked images, they're very vulnerable images, is that people will find out like oh, people are going to find this out and they're going to think differently of me. So then I was like, OK, but what if they found out from me like if i said it with my chest and i was like look this has happened this is a disaster this is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me but it has happened it's not my fault um and i'm letting you know rather than you hearing it from some random bot account on the internet i was like this is a disaster but look it is what it is 
Uh, because if I didn't do that, I know myself, I would have lived every day with the fear that people would find out about it and they'd, the peach, the, the pictures would leak and then they'd find out slowly. Oh, constantly and looking go, over your shoulder. Yeah, and I just didn't want to live like that. So I was like, right, I'm just going to do this, rip the bandaid off. And, you know, as each day passed and they didn't get leaked, it was obviously like a spam firm um, that was doing this. So they moved on to the next victim. Uh, and as each day passed and they weren't leaked, you know, I started to feel a little bit more calm and safe and you know for the most part in fairness people were extremely supportive obviously like with anything you put on the internet there are some people who are incredibly nasty but for the most part people were positive and that that was really nice to see that people are compassionate you know and i think there is a lot of compassion like it's it's like it's i forget who said it to me a a long time ago but it's it's so true that like like we have to accept in life sometimes that not everybody is going to like us you Mm -hmm. know and when we put these things out um it's it's not always going to work, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but you you mentioned actually earlier on and moving on is that um, we mentioned meditation and you were saying some people like it and some people don't. Is is it part of your routine? Would would you meditate much yourself or? Yeah, I try to do even if I can get like at least five minutes in the morning just to like set myself because I feel yeah. like what meditation does for me is it allows me to see where I am before I start reacting to the world, and it just creates you know people all, all the kind of experts talk about creating that gap and you really if you do it consistently you do feel that gap between you and your reactions and that lets me know that like okay i'm feeling a little bit anxious today or i'm actually feeling really good today or i'm feeling a bit low today and it allows me to really feel where i am and that allows me to like effectively deal with the world um in a more like self-aware way so i try to do it every day for at least five minutes and then if i have longer more time to play around with then i'll do for longer but it's just getting that moment of like peace before you start dealing with emails and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of crazy stuff that you're just like, okay, it's just me and my, and my breath right now. And that, that really works for me. It's really good. That daily check-in, where am I right now? Yeah. 100%. And listen, I have to, there's a question I have to ask. Um, I ask all of my guests uh, because of the, there's a mindfulness side to this podcast and mindful living. And the reason I always ask it is because I love the fact that, Everybody who practices meditation or practices mindfulness, they always have a different interpretation. And anyone that doesn't practice and is a beginner, they think that it's it's one certain way. It's a it's a, a monk sitting in a corner going um and it's not. Yeah. And so I asked all my guests um the question, um, Dara, what does mindful living mean to you? Um, I think to be very simple, it means being present or trying to be present. And I've actually written uh, an essay about this recently. And so it's been on on my mind, but I think it's just actively as much as you can, trying not to focus on the past, not to focus on the future and just be where you are now, whatever's going on. And that can happen like in broader circumstances, like you're just focusing on the project you're working on now. But even if you're washing a cup that you're actually focusing on washing the cup and then you're brushing your teeth, you're actually focusing on that rather than your thoughts being somewhere else and just bringing the focus to the, the present moment. I think that for me is what mindfulness is. And that's, it's hard to get to. Um, and often it's, you don't even realize that you're not doing it because you're all, you're away somewhere. But I find when I get to those moments, that's when there's zero anxiety, there's zero worrying about what other people think or what other people are doing. It's just, being extremely present and i think that is something to work towards it's an aspiration for me 
um, as it should be for everyone. But I think that's what mindfulness is, just being extremely present. Powerful. And it's it's important to say like that it's it's not easy. And like I, I think the most powerful part of mindfulness is actually the acknowledgement is that we're going off track and we're coming back. Mm-hmm. We're going off track. And when the mind wonders, just without judgment, just bring it back and just realizing that, yeah, listen, things aren't working right now, but let's just get back on track. Mm-hmm. Um listen, Dar, I I've loved chatting to you and uh opening this conversation. And um there's people that might mightn't be too familiar with you. So um I know your your book is Lonely Boy and uh your blog is Toss Too Big. If people want to contact you or follow the blog, uh what's the best way for them to contact you? Um yeah, so Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Dar Fleming. Uh the blog also has an Instagram which is at Thoughts Too Big and the blog's website is Thoughts Too Big.ie. So it's all quite streamlined. But uh, yeah, no, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, it was a great chat. And yeah, just thank you so much. Oh, no problem at all. And what I'll do is I'll um I'll get all the links and I'll put them on our show notes as well. And I'll put a link in this episode. You'll see them up above in the description. Uh, so that you can connect with Dara. And uh, let's, let's, let's keep the conversation going. And if you're a company or anyone out there that wants to, are, do, are, do, are you still doing talks for people as well? Or yeah. is that yeah. another thing? Yeah. So if you reach, reach out and... Um, if uh, if I'm down in the in Cork, I'll meet up and uh, maybe and maybe even drink a pint of Murphy's. I don't know if I if I stoop that low now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, no, if you're ever down, give me a shout and uh, we'll definitely grab a drink. Hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's it. Listen, great to talk to you, and thank you so much for being on the Mindful Living Guide. So there you have our interview with Dara Fleming. Um, I really really enjoyed that conversation and. It was really because it was the openness of the whole conversation and the fact that accepting that we need to have these conversations in public to allow other people to look for help. Um, like Dara is very similar to myself. Um, we didn't ask for help until we had to, which I really think we have to change. And then when people feel, Jeez, I don't feel myself. I don't feel right. It's not, I'm not. I'm the, I've got that numbness that we talked about that at that point they can go and seek help um, I'm actually going to put in the show notes as well um, some signposting as well for people that feel like that that they would like to speak to someone else or see, uh, look for more help like I say always um, there's many professionals out there and there's many things to try and don't be afraid to try something if it doesn't work try something else so listen I've been Stephen Downey This has been a Mindful Living Guide and I am so happy I am back.